Good morning. Thank you. If you're able, turn uh, to Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thanks be to God. Eric, thank you for that reading. So this is, uh, it's, it's funny because um, John uh, Nicholas does not like doing book openings. I do like doing book openings. Um, this morning we're doing a book opening, meaning kind of just talking about, well, what is the book? What are we looking at? What are we about to study? What will we see? Uh, but also doing the first chapter. Uh, so we'll be through nine of the Psalms before August when we break out into the book of Genesis. Um, and so in, in order to keep to that schedule, our, our idea is to have studied um, all of the book of Psalms in, in summertime studies. So we wanted to do whole books at a time. Uh, John and I went back and forth um, about go, whether we wanted to go in, in, in book order or if we wanted to move around. And so um, the long and short is uh, we're going in orders of the book during the summers, and that will be our approach to the the study of the Psalms. Um, Psalms is a wonderful, wonderful book. It's a collection of praise-filled worship. It would have been used certainly for temple worship. They're designed to drive us to God. They're designed to drive us to praise. They're designed to spark fire in our hearts. We should not be afraid of our emotions in reading the Psalms. It's designed to leverage human emotion and make us be encouraged by the, the powerful nature of our God, which is incredible. I mean, we're, we're talking about the very God who, who sunk the valleys and, and pushed down the waters and rose the mountains and, and promised to never again flood the entirety of the earth, who created all living life and who made them male and female and who was creative and, and made food and made it taste wonderful, right? It was not boring. We have a God who, who was incredibly creative in everything that he made and so much so that anyone can look around them and know that there's a creator, right? We wouldn't go outside and, and, and look, at a, look at a Dodge truck and decide that it just was formed that way perfectly, right? We, we know it's, it's, it's flawed. We know it has a creator, right? Why would we take something so simple, like a Dodge truck like that, you know, it's, it's, it's paint fading and, and parts rusting and, and know that it clearly has a creator, but look at the universe and look at all the complexity and, and, and think that it naturally occurred. It's just silly. But that's because we're born pointed away from God, sprinting away from God. None seeks after him, not one single person. And the Psalms then speak to the whole range of human emotion. The Psalms speak to our discouragement they speak to praise. They speak to our feelings of shame, of exaltation, of joy. The whole range of the human experience is found in the book of Psalms. Book one, and we'll talk a little bit about the various books of the book of Psalms. Where we are in this first Psalm is book one. Chapters one through 41 make up the first of the five books of Psalms. 
The New Testament, so Matthew to Revelation, quotes from the Psalms more than 100 times. More than 100 times we see Psalms quoted. Even, even Satan himself gave a go of quoting the Psalms in Luke chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, suggested that Jesus should jump off a cliff and that God would save him. The book of Matthew opens up declaring Jesus' connection to David and then quotes from the Psalms 15 times to drive that point home. The book of Psalms is rich in doctrine and theology. It's the doctrine and the theology. It's the right understanding of who God is that triggers our emotions. We react emotionally to seeing our creator who is love, who is perfect in his character and his nature who is sinless, that encourages us. We become joy-filled when we see that. Even when we're in a state where we're downtrodden, even when we're in a state where we're as low as we could possibly be, seeing the perfect character and nature of our loving God, knowing who He is, knowing that He's not a man, that He cannot lie, knowing that if we're in Him, we're His forever and we're with Him, is encouraging no matter our temporary state. It's possible that Ezra the scribe would have organized these psalms into five different books or five collections, five organized groupings inside of the book that we would refer to as psalms. The five books would match up with the books of the Torah. So the first five books, we see a people who are pierced to the heart when they hear the word, as Ezra reads, in Nehemiah 8, 8 and 10, they read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught all the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The word we see all over scripture, the word is nourishment. Where the word is present, we see life in God's people. And so without the word, there is no life. There is no presence in us. We see these, these people in, in the book of Nehemiah in the 8th chapter, when they hear from the scrolls for the first time, perhaps some of them for the first time in a very long time, they're pierced to the center of who they are. They're weeping at the sounds of the word. Psalms can feel like they're maybe haphazardly sprinkled around not following a single author, not following any kind of chronology and the storyline. Their genre jumps across books, meaning in one moment you're reading poetry and the next moment you're reading my favorite, which are imprecatory psalms. In another moment you're reading praise and then you're in a beatitude. It can feel like it's all over the place. When we studied Psalm 119, we noticed that the psalm was broken up into 22 different stanzas, each starting with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And Psalm 1 has a nod to the same. It starts with the Aleph in the, the beginning. If you look at the beginning of Psalm, the first word is blessed, beginning with Aleph. The last word of that book is perishing. And sandwiched in the middle is the truth. That's the Alpha and the Omega, the Aleph and the Tav. It's the whole scope of human emotion. Some would see Psalm 1 and 2 as an introduction to the whole of the book of Psalms. This particular psalm would be a, a beatitude, perhaps. One celebrating this blessedness, this blessed position that we have when we're found in God. There's 25 of those in the book of Psalms where you would call it a, a whole psalm that's about just being blessed and how great God is. There are several authors that are named across the book of Psalms. We see Moses, Ethan, Herman, 
listed explicitly. We know Solomon wrote some. Sons of Korah are attributed to many, 10 or 11. David, having written perhaps more than 70 of these songs. Interestingly, in the five books of the book of Psalms, so chapter 1 through chapter 41, we'll see that each of those is capped off with a song of praise. So Psalm 141 starts where Psalm 1 finished, which is with blessed. Psalm 41, verses 1 and 13 begin and end with an emphasis on blessing. Those endings of the books are always like a, um, like a, like a mega praise. Each time one of those five books ends, it's this, this mega praise, this doxology, this song of songs that we find. Perhaps this first psalm is designed to put our minds on the law of God. And then those songs of praise that cap off each book. When you look to the very end of Psalms 150, where we'll be in 2072, it's just this magnum opus to the entire celebration of all that God is. If you can read Psalm 150, and walk away unencouraged, I suggest you pray that God redeems your heart and you read it again. So let's read Psalm 150. The magnum opus, the closing of the Psalms, the end of the fifth book of the Psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing symbols let everything that has breath praise the lord praise the lord and so with that mindset of praise and worship and meditation and mood we approach the psalms excited to see the riches of god that are worthy of deep and prolonged thought that inspire and feed further praise. This is a great book. Let's look at Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so this first psalm starts off by declaring the one who's found in God to be blessed. You're, you're blessed. You're in this state of blessing. And so in this psalm, we'll find two threats. One, the blessed one who is found in God. And two, the wicked one who is not. That's it. It's one or two, it's off or on, it's one or zero, it's binary. You're either blessed in God or wicked. These are the only places a person can be found. For the blessed and for the wicked, in this first psalm, we'll see what they do. We'll see what that kind of person does. What does someone who's blessed do? What does someone who's wicked do? And we'll also see from the negative, what don't they do? What are the kinds of things they're not found doing, both for the blessed and for the wicked. And so we'll see the outflow of each of those kinds of people as well. And this first psalm takes us and lifts us off the crust of this earth and gives us an eternal vision for being found in God. And that can be encouraging because we're here, right? We're almost literally glued to the earth. We're just constantly being pulled, some of us with more force than others, being pulled towards the face of this earth. And so our understanding many times is here on this crusted earth. 
but God is outside of that. He created this and, and gave it order and structure in the way that the planets move around, and we think we see a sunset and a sunrise, and, and that's all because of the order that God put things in so that we could order our days and understand them and have seasons for things to grow, and all of this help us understand our God. And so the first psalm lifts us out of this life and gives us an eternal picture of God and the consequences for living in or outside him because of those the only two places that we can be found. There is no neutrality with God. There's no neutrality with God. Jesus said that we're either hot or cold. And maybe you're smart and you think, well, what about warm? Can I be kind of warm? Like I'm generally interested in the things of God, but I'm not there yet. I think the things that are in the Bible, and I think God is interesting, but I'm not found in Christ. I'm not ready to repent. I'm not ready to trust God. I'm not ready for Jesus to be my Savior. I'm warm. Jesus would speak to that in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 16 and liken you to a cup of coffee. And for the lukewarm, he would spit you out of the mouth. He would rather you be hot or cold. Blessed. This notion of blessed or blessing, blessed, is used 111 times across the Psalms. This book that's to draw us to God, that's to encourage us, that's to show us his character, also reminds us how incredibly blessed we are when we're found in him. And that's regardless of any life circumstance. No matter what our circumstance is, if we feel blessed or not, we still are blessed when we're found in God. No matter the circumstance, jail, prison, beaten, enslaved, free, enriched, all can be blessed. The blessing is not determined by any of those things. Paul said he had learned to abound in much and in little. And his little, I assure you, is lower than ours, probably at least physically. We see one of those instances of blessing here as we open up, blessed is the man in this first psalm. We see it also in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Whose sin is covered. Imagine if each Sunday we, we had to come into church and, and then there would be a, maybe a, a Bemis seat up here. There'd be a chair up here, one of those like really cool, ornate chairs that, that, we, that we got the church with that would be on the flanking the sides here. Um, and we'd sit you in the chair, and, and it would be just like this, except you would be sitting right there in a chair looking back at everyone, and on these monitors would be your sinful thoughts and your sinful behaviors playing every Sunday. I don't know about you, but I get tired of that. Not to mention, we need a long time to get through each of us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Yeah, Blessed. There's nothing that I could do to cover over or hide or forgive my own sinful motives and behaviors and actions against God. Psalm 40, verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. We're blessed when we understand our truth from God because the truth of the world changes by the minute. What's true right now won't be true in perhaps a week or a year. It might be something completely different. How can truth be moving around so much? How can truth be so fluid? It's people's understanding that floats around and it's tempered by their own experience the way that we understand truth. And so God, the author of truth, gives us truth and we trust truth because we only confuse that. Like we said this morning uh, during Sunday school, 
Roy, Roy spoke about um, people think that they need to build unity in the church. It's not what the scripture says. Scripture says by the spirit we have unity. We just need to stop getting in the way of unity. What we insert into that equation is disunity. We don't insert unity. Unity is found in the spirit of God. And so as we align to that, as we abide, as we in fact die to ourselves, not bring something to the equation, then we find unity when we align with the spirit of God. When we put aside some of our motives, when we put aside some of our feelings, when we put aside some of our experiences that make us understand things differently than one another, and we say we want to align to the unity of the Spirit. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. So how is that person blessed in Psalm 1, verse 2? We'll come back to the negative in verse 1. Verse 1 said you're blessed when you don't do these things. We'll come back to not doing those things. We're going to go straight to you're blessed when you... Psalm 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. This is how we come to see the very character and the nature of God. Do you want to know what God is like? Look directly at the law. That is what God is like. He's holy. He's set aside. He's different. He is the very things that we kick and squirm against by our natural nature. He is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Straight out of the gate, we get to one of the 272 mentions of Yahweh, the personal name of God here in this first psalm. Exodus 3, 14 through 15, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This Yahweh or the Tetragrammaton, if you want to sound smart, the four letters of the Bible, you may see, you know, depending on your Bible and how they try to communicate things, if you look in the beginning, it'll have translation notes. Maybe it says the big L and the lowercase O-R-D, so lowercase caps or small caps is showing you that they're using Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, the personal name of God. To capture your attention to the I am, to God, to the Lord. The I am that I am, the beginning and the end. The Aleph and the Tov, the Alpha and the Omega. The eternal God of all creation. So the blessed people's delight is the law, the character of of all that God is, the safety that he's given us in living by his way, the God that caused all things to exist, the oceans, people, our body's ability to procreate, our mind's ability to think and align with the spirit and be transformed by the renewing of our minds by his word. The law... And the word are the institution that God used to reach us. Not through feelings, per se. We don't feel our way to God. We can know our way to God. We feel our way towards danger. We feel our way towards what our heart already desires. Now, God certainly may use our emotions, but that isn't the only way that he captures us. Many of you who are saved right now know very well that God can capture you through your emotions. Maybe he found you in a moment where you were 
as low as you thought low could go and through weeping and tears, you became known by God. But praise Him that we don't have to crawl through a wallowing of our emotions to find Him. He gives us His Word. And so the blessed person delights in the law of God. The blessed person is someone who is consumed by the law. Not someone who read it once and then moved on like they had an interesting new piece of information that was going to help them win Trivial Pursuit Night so that when Jeopardy had it the Bible category, they go, hot darn, I got this one. Because that's how people speak. J.D. has hot darn in his vocabulary. The blessed person lives as someone consumed by the law. Look at what the psalmist says, day and night. The blessed person is not a passive hobbyist. The blessed person didn't read the word one, one time and say, well, that's super neat. Now I'm going to get off to my hobby, whatever that is. I, I, I want to watch NFL football. Now, the, the blessed person is, is consumed day and night, is always thinking about the word, is drawn towards it. And the blessed person, when they're not feeling drawn towards it, says, I need to get back in that. I, I need to get back into the Word. I need some instruction. I need to be praying and abiding. I've been distracted by this life that seeks to destroy me for so long that I've become numb. I'm not even thinking of the Word. I'm not spending time in the Word. I need to be there. That's the blessed person. The blessed person is called back. They're consumed. Their very substance of living is the Word, not the culture and not the world. For the blessed person, the, the blessed person could never be satisfied by the, by the world and by the culture around them. Whether it's an interest in a January 6th trial or concern over the Beeb's face, the blessed person is never satisfied by these things. The blessed person is satisfied by the word, not the Bieber. For the blessed person, the very word of God is both life's substance and its filter. It's how I understand the world around me. It's how I understand. I don't come to understand the word by what the world has learned in its refined 2,000 years on planet Earth. I come to understand the zany world around me by the consistent word of God. It's unchanging. It's my filter. It's my encouragement. It's my everything. This person that lives that way is blessed. The person that's led around by the nose, by whatever fleeting interest of the world at that moment is, is not blessed. What else is the blessed person like? Psalm 1-3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The blessed person is like a tree. Like a tree. Jeremiah, see the reference to the tree used? One verse before my life verse. In Jeremiah 17, 8. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. This encouragement in Jeremiah comes amidst some pretty rough language, some pretty terrifying truth. It's a warning about the sin of Judah. They were guilty of idolatry. They were guilty of relying in their own flesh. They were guilty of dishonest wealth, maybe tipping the scales in their own favor. And the pen of iron had 
written the names of idols onto the horns of their altar. Indelibly was the mark and the names of the very idols that they were worshiping. How are they the people of God? These are the people who Jeremiah 31, 33 says that the, the, the word of God should be written against their heart. The core of who they were is where the word of God should be found. If they would hide that away in their hearts, then they might not sin against him. But they were letting everything else into their heart, everything else into the core of who they were. Love of money. You cannot serve two masters. They were serving love of money. They were serving idols. They were serving their possessions and their power in the world. They were relying on their own strength. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he, he taught them to pray for their daily bread. They probably didn't feel like they, okay, Jesus, well, We'll ask for our daily bread. We're so tempted to rely on ourselves. We, none of us needs to pray for our daily bread, right? We probably feel. Right? There's plenty of raviolis in the, uh, in the cabinet. There's plenty of ramen, ramen noodles. You can go to the store and pay $11 and get a bag of cherry. That's what it costs for one cherry now, $11. They had the sun and the air to breathe. They had everything they needed. Think about that tree. What, what did it say about the tree in Jeremiah 17, 8? It's like a tree planted by the water. But it steps out beyond being planted by the water. It steps out beyond being exposed to the sun. It steps out beyond having enough air to grow. It had deep roots. And if you were to take those roots... You know, have you ever seen a, a, a tree when they transplant a tree? They bring out this huge root ball with it, right? They wrap it in burlap, which is what, what J.D. puts on when he's sad. They wrap that thing in burlap, and they pick it up, and they put it in the ground in a new spot because you can't just pick it up without the roots. It needs the roots. That's where it gets its nourishment. If you were to take that same tree, cut off the roots, give it the same stream, the same air, and the same sun, the leaves will wither up and die, and it will be gone. It needs those roots, Jeremiah 17.8 says it's planted by the water and sends the roots out by the stream. And because that's true, because this great tree is there, because its roots are deep and nourished, it doesn't fear when heat comes and its leaves remain green. It's not anxious about drought because it has deep roots. It doesn't cease to bear fruit like a tree. Stay in the Psalms in Psalm 37, verses 34 and 40. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away. And behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. And so maybe we would read this with our 2022 glasses, which are mirrored aviator glasses. And we'd think, that this planted tree in a point in time is blooming and fruitful, right? That's, that's, that's what we read. Planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season. It doesn't wither. And then all it does, it prospers. That takes a selfish, earth-centered view. What if in all I do, I prosper, and I live a life as someone who is consumed 
by the word and by the standards of the world, perhaps no one sees me as a very successful person. Am I prospering? Yes, because I'm in the word and I'm consumed by the word. Material blessings are irrelevant when the scriptures talk about prosper. How shallow for God to talk about prospering because you had money, stuff, and things. Those will all be gone. That would be inconsistent with the scripture that says not to store up your treasure where moth and rust destroy things. My gosh, if you think that you're going to keep anything on this earth for very long, I mean, we all live in Pennsylvania. We know what happens. If you have a vehicle that's more than four hours old, it's covered in rust on the bottom. I have a truck that I haven't driven in two years and stuff keeps breaking on it. And I haven't even driven it. I put new shocks on my truck. I looked just the other day. I've not driven it since I've done that. I looked just the other day. They're covered in rust. How does that happen? Because this earth just tears at things. All of creation groans under the sin of being separated from the particular protection of God. There is no neutrality with God. And what we read of Psalm 37, 35, we read that the ruthless man spreads like a green laurel tree. The ruthless do great here. They lie and seek and destroy and oftentimes succeed in everything that they're trying to do. They tip the scale, bend the rules, break the rules. Some of them even write the rules. And they seem successful. Psalms talks about that. He says, and then I remember that their end is death. This life is so temporary. I know it feels long. I know you feel old. Neither are true. Some of you are old. But there's no neutrality with God. We're aligned to Him. We're, we're, we're in the Word. We're, we're blessed. We're nourished by his presence, by his truth, by his character, and by his nature, or we're not. And we're among the wicked. Look at Psalm 92, verses 12 through 14. See, the Psalms are this guide of worship where we go to understand who God is, and so constantly we're driven towards this understanding of, of, of who we can be as a people when we're found in God. Psalm 92, 12 through 14 is like that. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. This is the righteous. Deep roots standing firm like a tree, undeterred by the world around them. You know, when you, when you think of a tree, when you think of these, these great cedars in Lebanon, you don't think of these kind of bendy Miami trees, right? They're like 40 feet tall and they can just touch the ground when the hurricanes come and they just spring right back up. And if you live there, you know what happens. They peel off these goofy like saw branches and smash your car undeterred by the world around them, they still bear fruit in old age. See, we kind of tend to think as people that we wind down. As believers, we're right where we were. We bear fruit. We bear the fruit of a life that's been spending time abiding in Christ. If God should be so gracious that he gives us tens and twenties and thirties and fifties of years abiding in him, the fruit of our lives, the fruit of of raising a family, the fruit of living consistent with the scriptures and interacting with people around us, the fruit of being like a tree, encouraged by God, full of sap and green. Psalm 73, verse 17, is the, the end of that person's lament who was thinking about the wicked person and how it seemed like they were doing so well, how it seemed like their branches were, were, were green and covering the earth. I'm going to read a little bit more from that than just the, the verse 17. Psalm 73 
Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Maybe you've felt that before. Maybe you've seen the, the arrogance of people you know are wicked. They are not of God. They're wicked and they're arrogant and they seem like they're prospering in every way in this life. God, why would you allow me to appear so meek and weak among this wicked people who believe ridiculous things? Verse 4, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Apparently, other things used to be desirable. They're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness and their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Lofty, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to him and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in, in riches, all in vain. I have kept my heart clean. I have washed my hands in innocence for all the day long. I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, when I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, you Hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You shall put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. The Psalms are not ignorant of our plight. The songs, Psalms are not ignorant of where we live. It knows that a, a, a pride-filled, lying, dishonest people around us appear to be very successful in every way except their end is death. And they're far from God. We should, in fact, pity the wicked. Not desire to be in their position. In fact, that's against, guess what? The law. Covetousness. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. For as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping a festival why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? 
hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. This is why the Psalms are so rich. They find us where they, we are. They allow us to mire a little bit. And then they pull us up and remind us who God is. The God who's so much more than all or any of our circumstance, no matter the cost of our loss, our God is our treasure and our strength forever. Psalm 1-1 said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The blessed man, which is category one, the blessed person, avoids the things that the wicked, or category two, of people live in. The wicked live as chaff, contrasted by the blessing living as a tree. Chaff, if you were a farmer of wheat, and I know you all, and none of you are. <laughs> chaff is surrounding the actual wheat that you've been working for, that you've been growing, that you've been toiling and sweating in the fields over. The chaff has to be separated from the wheat. And the way that they would do this maybe is to pile it all up on the ground and stomp on it. And the chaff would break off and blow in the wind. And then they'd thresh it and they'd throw it in the air and let the grain fall down and the chaff float off. Isaiah 5.24 reads, Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble and as dry grass shrinks down to the flame, so their roots will be as rottenness and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 33.11, You conceive chaff. You give birth to stubble. Your breath is a fire that will consume you. The Assyrians just conceive chaff far, far from God. The wicked, in verse 1, they, they stand, they exist in the way of sinners. Stand in the way of sinners doesn't mean standing with their arms folded, blocking someone from going there. It means congregating. It means hanging out. Think high school with all the different cliques and people are standing among their weird little clique of people with whatever the weird high school thing that they're into is in that moment. Standing in the way of sinners. The, the ways and the things that sinning people do, that's where they exist. Those are the circles that the wicked are found within. Those of us who our soul pants like a deer pants for water for God, we do not stand among and in those things of the world that the wicked do. We're different than that. They also walk in that same way. They walk in the counsel of the wicked. The blessed don't do that. We don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. The blessed, the believers, the followers of God who are nourished by His Word, who have deep roots, don't go to the world and say, hey, help me understand the way that I'm feeling right now. The counsel of the world is stranger and stranger by the day. Psalm 1, verse 4, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. They're blown about carelessly because they're not anchored. They're not deeply nourished. They're not satisfied by the word. There's no deep planting. They aren't evergreen. The wicked need the philosophies of men and the counsel of their fellow wicked men to make them feel informed. They need new ways of teaching and new interpretive lenses. They need to appease groups of people. They need to get around people and they need to talk about their philosophies. They need everybody to nod their head and say, oh yes, intersectionality, right? I understand exactly what you're saying. Yes, colonial ways of understanding, absolutely. And that is how we should read the Scriptures. And that is how we should understand God. In Matthew 15, 13, we read Jesus saying, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. The wind 
drives them away. Their roots aren't deep in God. Their nourishment and their satisfaction is not of God. They're not connected to Him. They're not known by Him. They're wicked and they're separated from the harvest of wheat. And so what is the outcome in verse 5 of Psalm 1? Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked may blossom in this life. They may be made happy for a time, but lasting richness is found in God. We're not people of this time that we're bound to this earth where we're forced to it. We are people of a future kingdom of God. We are eternal people. We are created to live forever with God. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Hosea 13, 3. Therefore, they shall be like a morning mist or like a dew that goes early away. Like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. Like Isaiah 17, 13, the nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away, chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind, a whirling dust before the storm. And so we people must be nourished from the word of God. The great I am, the Aleph and the Tav, the causation of life. We have to echo with John from 1 John 4, 4, as we studied not too long ago. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Psalm 1, 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. And so there's only two categories for us as people, blessed and wicked, because there's no neutrality with God. The blessed are deeply nourished from the law, meditating day and night. A constant substance of living is the word. And so we sing with the psalmist in Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we do thank You. We do praise You, Lord, as we read from Your Word, as we approach You in song, as we agree as a fellowship of body unified by your spirit, not by our works, who look to our giftings as you expose them to us, as you give us opportunities to exercise a gift that we never knew we had, like it was a gift. God, thank you for all that you do in and among us. Thank you for the opportunity to fellowship together as believers. Thank you for your word. And I pray as we continue through um, our study, through your book of Psalms, God, that you greatly encourage us in all that you are and that we come to know you and love you from your word. It's in Jesus' precious, holy, awesome name we pray. Amen. If you would,